it's not uncommon for families to have family members on either side of the border or to have to cross the border to be able to go to a hospital or to be able to go to school. The history that we see of border fences and uh, everybody needs a passport and everybody needs a visa is relatively new. That creates grievances. A town divided by a turbulent border finds a way to endure and to profit. Today on In Asia, from the Asia Foundation, I'm John Rieger. And I'm Tracy Young. The market town of Torcom stands on the old Silk Road, with one foot on either side of the Afghanistan-Pakistan border. But this vital gateway to trade is also a long-time pathway for militants and contraband. As the government in Islamabad seeks to secure its frontier, Torcom illustrates the tension between prosperity and security in conflict-affected border towns. Here now to tell us more about Torcom and cities like it are Nathan Shea of the Asia Foundation's Conflict and Fragility Unit and Azima Chima, Director of Research and Strategy at Verso Consulting in Pakistan. They're part of the team behind the new report, Border Towns, Markets, and Conflict, from the Cross-Border Local Research Network. Nathan and Azima, welcome to In Asia. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for having me, too. So, Azima, the new report starts with the border town of Torkham, uh, amid the chaos of the Taliban victory in Afghanistan last August. Paint us a picture of Torkham. Where is it and why does it merit close attention? Torkham is important simply because it's the major border crossing between Afghanistan and Pakistan, along with one other border crossing in the south. But the gate itself is home to communities living on both sides that are essentially divided by this border. And our investigation focused on how a certain set of policy decisions, in this case by the Pakistani government, had an impact on the local market system, they had an impact on the social system, and also had an impact on the state-society relationship. Pakistan has been working hard to stabilize its border with Afghanistan, right? Yes. How has it been trying to work through that? For a long time, this has been a porous border, subject to a challenging security paradigm. It also is one where cross-border movement of goods is necessary to sustain livelihoods. So there's a dual challenge of a maintaining security whilst continually allowing movement. The Pakistani government has been trying to regularize it through a regime of visas, through regulations around trade, by setting up systems of taxation, by setting up border terminals. And finally, because of the difficult security paradigm, constructing a border fence. Now, the border fence was the most controversial because the fencing cuts off villagers who have family assets, interests, loved ones on both sides, and access services in both countries. Nathan, why don't you weigh in here? In your essay this week, you speak of Torcom as a place that has been disrupted by conflict for many years, but has managed to survive and to profit. Yeah, as Azima was saying, Torcom is the major border crossing between Afghanistan and Pakistan. And one of the key routes between the two capitals of Islamabad and Kabul runs through Torcom. It's the old Silk Road essentially. And so what that means is that it's an incredibly important route for the trade of goods between the two countries, but also regionally between Central and South Asia and between Europe and and, and Asia. So even though the area has experienced significant conflict for, for decades now, the priority very much is around trade and continuing the transit of trucks through that area. 
So Nathan, in your essay this week, you observed that for Pakistan, attempting to stabilize a conflict-affected market town like Torkham represents a difficult paradox. Can you describe that paradox for us? Essentially, there's some trade-offs that are trying to be managed by the various state actors that have control in these border areas. Borders are seen as a key area for states to be able to work on to secure that border area, to be able to provide effective customs and immigration policies. At the same time, there are local communities that live in these areas and that have lived there for generations. It's not uncommon for families to have family members on either side of the border or to have to cross the border to be able to go to a hospital or to be able to go to school. The history that we see of border fences and uh, everybody needs a passport and everybody needs a visa is relatively new. That creates grievances. It creates grievances with the state and can often lead to conflict. And so in a space where governments are trying to be able to secure their border, trying to stop the movement of guns and weapons and militants they might see, Instead, these barriers become the driver for violence. And essentially, that is the nature of the paradox. I'll add to, you know, the paradox that Nathan was talking about. Essentially, through our research, what we have found is that in contexts of fragility, where state regulation is often dogmatic, they prescribe, you know, the, the A to Z of border control. The border system itself is flexible to the local context and responds to conditions on the ground. So the border systems tend to shift between tiers of formality and informality, depending on local conditions, as opposed to depending on the state's directive. So it sounds like in these uh, conflict-affected border towns, there's a durable system of customary behavior that um, doesn't easily yield to formal regulations from distant capitals. Absolutely. Essentially, despite the discussion that we've been having about conflict and violence and the fragility that exists in these areas, there is a dependency on some level of stability at the same time. Even back in August last year, during the period in which the Taliban were rapidly taking over Afghanistan and taking over many border gates, when Torkham was was taken, it was only closed less than a day because there was a massive need for the regular continual movement of goods and for those goods to be able to hit the markets down in Islamabad and Kabul and for the state to be able to earn uh, import taxes and other sort of duties from that movement of goods. This is not that controversial. This is part of the market system. Now, the report we're discussing here has a broader focus than South and Southeast Asia, right? Um, Why don't you tell us about the larger project? For sure. So this research is part of a project called the Cross-Border Conflict Evidence Policy and Trends Program, which is supported by the British government. Our particular part of the project, which is the Cross-Border Local Research Network, is very much focused looking at these local conditions and how conflicts affect local communities. The report itself, it features six case studies. Uh, So as well as Torkham, we also look at a town called Shwekoko on the Myanmar-Thailand border. Uh, We look at Samada in Syria, which is on the border with Turkey, as well as the maritime border in Yemen and a town called Maka. And then there are two case studies from South Sudan. Well, let me throw this out to both of you. How can we bring peace and security to these conflict-affected border towns 
without aggravating either cross-border or state-local antagonisms? It's very challenging. One thing that we could we should think about and we should work towards in border towns is not just building the infrastructure that we need to be able to create trade and support those that live in the downstream markets in the, in the capital cities, but undertake development activities that work for the betterment of those local communities in that area. Yeah, I guess that was my follow-up question is how do you incentivize better decision-making at the government level? The, the answer to your question in summary is better evidence. I think what's often missing in a lot of the discussion about borders is the local voices and the local analysis. Embassies or policymakers or, or development workers, INGOs, you know, they're based in the downstream capitals uh, rather than in, in these, you know, these conflict-affected border areas. And so being able to work with local stakeholders, local researchers and other groups in the space and being able to not just capture their voices, but amplify them and being able to bring them to a, an international policy audience is incredibly important to be able to get a a more accurate understanding of local dynamics. Nathan Shea and Azima Chima, thank you both for joining us today. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for having us. And that's our podcast for this week. Nathan has written quite compellingly about the puzzle of Torcom and other conflict-affected border towns in this week's In Asia blog, where you can also find a link to the full report, Border Towns, Markets, and Conflict. They're well worth a read. And if you enjoyed our conversation today, we invite you to subscribe to the In Asia podcast, where our guest next time will be former U.S. Ambassador to Vietnam, Ted Osius. Until then, I'm John Rieger. And I'm Tracy Young. Thanks for listening.